welcome to the God is not an asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your hosts, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. And Carrie, this is Mac James, who I know as Gene James because, uh, well, that's who he was. And, and really, Mac has always been his name, too. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, was that to distinguish you from your dad? Um, yeah, yeah. That they called yeah, you Gene? Okay. Yeah. So we're really grateful because it is 6 a.m. Uh, there in New Zealand. Oof. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I, I hope you have like maybe coffee or something there. Uh, no, I'll be, I'm I'm yeah. good. I'll have a, a stiff green mushroom tea thing maybe <laughs> when we're done. <laughs> I've done my Wim Hof. For the cool. morning, it's one so. o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> for me. It's in the afternoon for me. I'm still need, needing coffee, <laughs> so I'm impressed officially. <laughs> So, so, you know, I, I have to say, Mac, that uh, I've been really looking forward to this um, conversation slash reunion. You were here in the States, uh, in Santa Barbara, visiting. When was it now? Um, that would have been 2016. It was before COVID, right? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. So uh, because uh, you grew up here, your family, uh, most of your family is here. And uh, I have really, again, been really looking forward to this for a number of reasons. But when I invited you, your reply was something like, are you sure you have the right person? (laughs) And tell me, tell me why you uh, replied that way. Um. I I I I guess really it's sort of like um I don't really think of myself as being particularly interesting. <laughs> Nor do I so, I I just and then I think also when I looked at the I I clicked the link and I was but no, you sent me a link after and I think that even made me more but I was like why would anybody want to interview me about any, or ask me questions on a podcast about anything? So <laughs> that was sort of my it's like what? <laughs> but yeah, I'm, but I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> well, you, you know, one of the reasons that um, I reached out to you is because we have some shared history, mm. and you know, we we were affiliated. I was a teacher, and you were a student at a a Christian uh, school connected to a church here in Santa Barbara, and. Um, we have both had to really have some reformation in our lives, I guess. Um, 
yeah. I guess you'd call it that. Um, and also, there are so many other students, uh, mm. former students, mm. who you know may not uh, track exactly with you, but have had to you know really change, recover. Mm. And um, in a few weeks, we're going to have. I don't know if you recognize the name Mickey Morelli. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. She's awesome. I haven't seen her in a really long time. We were in our early 20s, last time I saw her. Yeah. Wow. Well, we've kind of stayed in touch. In fact, you know, I did her wedding several years ago, and she's a cosmetologist. And if I want to get some kind of treatment, which I've only done once, <laughs> but uh, she won't, she'll insist that I come in and, and, and get something for free. Because, you know, we had a connection back then. Mm. And um, she, when I invited her to do this show, she just said, yeah, it's time for me to um, to come forward and tell mm. my story. So wow. that probably says, that's probably a pretty loaded statement, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that that is a loaded statement because I think it speaks to the power that voices from our childhood have in our psyche, mm. especially when those voices are in any way associated with God, right? Mm. Or who have taken on the representation of God, right? Um, mm. That those can be incredibly powerful voices in our heads that then kind of feed everything that we do. And it takes it takes so much, um, it, it really takes an act of, of will and self-agency to, to question those voices, right? Certainly, yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting that you you say that you you don't see yourself as interesting. What a story! <laughs> I mean, just the fact that you're living in New Zealand, but you you called uh, England home for a long time. Mm. Uh, tell us about that. What what happened with you? Uh, um. So, do you want to know how I sort of? So if we just take it from the point of traveling, um, I had always wanted to travel. Um, my best mate growing up, uh, he's, he's from, well, he was born in the States, but uh, was raised in, well, spent a bit of time in England. Um, both of his parents are from the UK. And um, anyway, so I was regaled with tales of stories and then grew up watching PBS, Jeeves and Worcester and you know, masterpiece theater and all that sort of. So you've got you've got this um, uh, real polished up illusion of you know, especially a kid coming from um, you know, we 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 had a really uh, my parents made ends meet most of the time, um, but you know we had a very challenging <laughs> I had a very challenging upbringing on a lot of levels, but finances were always a, a real challenge for us. Uh, I guess I stopped short of saying we were poor, but that we were. Um, but um, anyway, so just it, once I realized, I remember one day I was five years old. I was on the Riviera. We're, we're driving over the Riviera, looking out at the, the scenery there and um, looking out at the ocean. And I asked my mom, and I said, oh, are you, you know, is this the world? And she's like, oh, no, no, mijo, it's much, much bigger than this. And so I was like, Oh, well, I want to see it. <laughs> and so that was sort of, that was a really pivotal <laughs> moment in my own sort of intellect where I just was like, oh, right. right. So we, we've got a job to do here. Um, little did I know that 
the extent of the journey I'd go on. But um, so I left the States around 2004 or five, and then um, spent most of that time in England. Uh, did a year in Ecuador, uh, in Cuenca, uh, with my wife, who was um, doing her doctoral research there. So I got to serve as sort of a, um, I don't know what we call it, sort of, sort of a field supervisor in a way. I had already finished my dissertation. Um, and so I was, I was working on corrections and then um, also just was there to, she, so she could bounce ideas off of. I've also got a background in, in for better or worse, anthropology and sociology. <laughs> um, so it, it, yeah, it allowed me to kind of get, get in there. And then when, um, when we got pregnant, or say when she got pregnant, I was there to eat the foods that she was offered and drink the drinks that she was offered because you've got to say, you've got to accept those things. So we went, you know, so, so that was always really interesting. <laughs> and um, then we uh, came back, uh, had our son. Um, and then uh, after another few years, we ended up, we decided to move in, moved to New Zealand. It was time on uh, the political situation in England. Um, so right, right before Brexit, right before Brexit, Brexit was the last bit of voting I did. <laughs> I voted against Brexit, if anybody's curious. Wow. <laughs> and um, the uh, the hostility was was palpable. Being a being a foreigner, um, although I, I was a citizen, passport, but getting called out on the bus for being a foreigner, and they just would take take they just get off the bus. I'm not gonna sit there and you know get into a shouting match with someone in front of my child on a bus. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Mm. So, mm. you know, I just, um, yeah, I got really, really. Wait, how did they know you were a foreigner? My accent. <laughs> oh, yeah. then if you came to the States now, you would be called a foreigner. <laughs> I feel like a foreigner. You're, you're, when I'm you, you have. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's really that's really interesting um, for for people who are listening and don't get to to see us who are only listening. You know, from from my perspective, from where I'm sitting right here, you look like a white bodied man, right? Um, and I think it, it's it's interesting that you're 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 in this liminal space, right? This this place where you're experiencing what so many people who look like you m here in the states might do to another person, right? Some mm. of us, not all of us, but some of us um, who, who look like us might respond to other people in that way. And um, I just I just think that's interesting that, that you're walking in that liminal embodiment. That's a fascinating space, I think. And it's a space of um, bridging, bridging things, right? As we talked about Reverend Jackie Lewis the other day, but she talks about that in her book about walking in different, you know, you can understand what it's like to be a, hum uh, a, a an American, and you can also understand what it's like to not be an American, to be a far a, quote a foreigner. Not that every I did not say that well. I othered everybody else who wasn't American when I said that. Just now. But but you want you can walk that liminal space, and I think that's really fascinating. I think I think it's important to note at this point um, that uh, I although I, I present as a white cis male. Um, <laughs> Just given, uh, I call it a, I have a melanin deficiency. Um, I'm half Mexican. So um, 
my ah. name and my name and Peller fool people quite often. I have to have mm-hmm. to acknowledge my white privilege. Um, I've got it like a stamp right here. Um, so, um, but uh, growing up mixed race, I think this is that's the how we're. I think that's the correct terminology these days. Um, mm-hmm. That had its own. That had its own ups and downs. That had its, you know, own sets of trauma that went with it. Um, you never, you know, I was much dark. I was much darker, especially as a teen. I was much, much darker. I'd, you know, really this sort of black hair and bald now. Um, my head's cold. That's why I'm wearing a cap. <laughs> um, but um, so, you, so <laughs> I had that sort of constant juxtaposition. I think um, where you, 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 you never, you don't feel quite right in your space at any point in time. I definitely felt that way coming up mm. in school. I saw more racism. My my introduction to to direct racism was Christian school. That that was, yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't at thank the you, school. Thank you for clarifying and for correcting me. I appreciate it. Oh no no, it's it's not a problem. It happens to me quite often. Um, e- even here, and we we're we're considered to be quite progressive over here, and. Um, I say here, I'm a resident, uh, uh, permanent resident here in New Zealand now. So um, it's in, I'll get to vote this year, which is pretty exciting. Um, but even here, you, I've, I've encountered situations where presumptions are made. Or I'll be, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who's Maori, and we were, you know, got our decolonization jokes happening, and, you know, we're... <laughs> um, we're kind of chuckling it up, chuckling it up, and um, I had someone say, "Well, you can't, you can't speak that way. You can't talk that way." So then I've got to identify. You're always coming out, <laughs> in a sense. You know, I've always got to mm-hmm. sort of pull my papers okay. out. Actually, I'm this. You know, uh, I'm not what you perceive me to be. I'm, I'm, I'm something much, much more. And my m- the breadth of my experience is something much, much more. And um, so I, for me, it's really important that I, I make that correction. And my son, who's, he's, he looks like a little surfer boy, you know, and, and he is it, here in New Zealand, if you're of, um, in the States, we'd say of indigenous descent, um, you are just indigenous here. The, there's mm. a lot. There's a real push against blood quantum. Uh, a good, good friend of mine spent a lot of time touring in the U.S. as as, a, as going to uh, a lot of different uh, meetups as as a as a Maori man and um, learning and sharing. And um, we, we, he, he was he was really taken aback by all of the infighting and. Uh, you know, pretendians and, and, uh, all the, all the terminologies. And I understand whether that, why, why some of those things are there, because you do have people who are, who are saying, Oh, well, look, I'm this. I'm a 16th this, so I'm this. But yet we lack the experience. You have not lived the life of, of a native person in the United States. Just, and just because you're a 16th, Hey, great. That's awesome. That's your doorway. Open that door, go in and learn. Shut your mouth, empty your brain, and learn. And yeah, that that that's been a really important journey for me as well. Uh, coming out of coming out of Christianity, 
But uh, yeah, the yeah. acceptance. So that it, so so there's an expectation amongst um, my Maori colleagues and friends that um, I own my indigeneity, and you know, even to the point where they said, "Here, you put it on your CV. You put it on your resume. Your 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 uh, what wow. would be considered tribal affiliation, and and all that." I, I just leave mine as indigenous Mexican, but <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's there. So, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very, very different thing. Uh, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking I'm going to send uh, this podcast to some of my indigenous friends who have this conversation among themselves particularly, but sometimes I get to eavesdrop and, you know, this conversation is ongoing of people, uh, you know, assuming an indigenous uh, identity uh, without an indigenous experience. So uh, I appreciate you saying that. I think the, I think the racial context in the United States is so particular, right? Because, because of that, because of the hierarchy of whiteness that, everybody's trying to, to get onto, right? Um, so yeah. I didn't mean to, to over, to speak over you. Sorry. Oh, no, no. That, yeah, no, no. That's <laughs> okay. Um, I don't remember this. Oh, um, I, I think that there are many, many people in the United States and even here, um, and probably, I think this is, anytime we involve colonization <laughs> and um, indigenous peoples, we have that collision and some of us get in that explosion. Some people get flung, and I kind of see myself. Mm. People like people like me, um, who became disconnected um, through family. And I mean, I, I don't want to go into huge details about telling my family story because it's really going to take us in the wrong direction. But, but um, uh, why would it, uh, why think, would it be the wrong direction, Mac? Well, no, uh, well, I, I wasn't I wasn't sure if we were here to talk about <laughs> coming out of Christianity or um, I'm happy to talk about whatever. Uh, well, whatever that too. But I know we're about. here to talk about you and and your your journey. Um, but I, so I I did a lot of lot of research, extensive research. Um, it, I, I'm a researcher. Well, I I have a PhD, which makes you a researcher by trade. Uh, by that point, uh, and a bit mental, I suppose. Um, I should only speak for <laughs> myself. <laughs> but, um, and uh, so I applied the same skill set and did a lot of research in my family history and then was able to, to like pinpoint us. There was a lot of infighting. My grandfather, um, he, uh, how do I say this? He wanted to be an awesome American. He, he wasn't. He was from Mexico and there was a lot of it. He said he was from Arizona and uh, he was not. <laughs> um, and eventually I was, at, I found the actual documentation to prove that um, my grandmother was the only person who, who held firm and said, no, you, you, he's not American. <laughs> he's Mexican, but he had all the paperwork. And the thing about it is, is that, you know, the, the environment, what you see is a, a real shift. I think it was in the looking back at the census records. I think it occurs roughly in the 1930s. Suddenly he starts appearing as an American. And so, and this is before there was any sort of a, a real amnesty or anything, because at this time, obviously they're, 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 they're scooping up Mexicans and just dropping them back into Mexico. So he's in that hostile environment. That's when got, they developed the term wetbacks. Yep. 
<laughs> One of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, so I can't. I think what happened in that process was me starting to understand. Uh, hopefully, maybe understanding him a bit better. He did what he needed to do to protect his family. He did what he needed to do to provide for his family yeah. in in, a, in, a, in an environment that I've I've never lived in. Um, I I don't know what it was like to live back then. So um, yes, that it, it caused a lot of strife actually within my my mom's family, um, the family history. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you you go and you you. You stop listening to legends. You look for the truth. You know what are the what are the kernels of truth, and then how can I grow those? And uh, for me, that's really what it was about. And what we found was my grandmother's my grandmother's opinions, and a lot of what she said was generally dismissed. Um, there was a lot of opinions about her personality and who she was, um, <laughs> and uh, that weren't always positive. And the thing is, is that um, what I ended up having, what I found time after time, it's been like 10 for 10, is that she was telling the truth. I actually found documents to back up what she was saying. And I was just like, oh, you know, there you have it. And um, so that was a really, that was a really unique journey. And that was a, and you know, my son was right there with me for it. And so it was, it was cool. And that was something that that I did here. I started it in the UK, and really got stuck in here. So, so you know, when uh, we had this conversation, I don't know, a few weeks ago, you mentioned that your your transgender son yeah. um, is in a much healthier environment there in New Zealand. Oh, was that um, yeah. Can you unpack that for us? <laughs> um I'll, I'll i'll try to i'll try to stay composed um <laughs> uh here what i would say is my son my son lives in the light um there's even within the community here amongst parents and it's different where you where you the region you live in I mean, it's it's going to be different anywhere you go that there's no uniform sort of situation for um for pe- and I don't, I don't want to speak for all trans, you know, parents of trans children or, or, any, or the community. But so far, what I've learned is that, you know, we're really lucky to be in Wellington. And um, Wellington reminds me quite a bit of certain aspects of it remind me quite a bit of San Francisco. Like back in the early 90s, it's a very different place uh, to when I was last there. But um, it's very progressive. And I'd say, like, talking to people initially when I arrived here, talking to people who were national supporting, uh, national party supporters, what I found was that um, they were sort of akin to moderate Democrats. Um, just to, I'm just trying to put some perspective. I don't want to get go to the political trail here, um, but but just to kind of create some perspective there, um, for better or worse. <laughs> so. Um, but, but there was, it was, it was quite easy to find common ground. I, I think that was where I was going with that. Uh, we definitely, you know, there's differences of, of opinion, but that's what they are. And you can, you can be friends with people, you know, and they support different parties. But any, anyway, um, so what, what I've found is that for my son's experience here, it's, 
he can live his life. He can be out. You get on the bus, you see um, kids who are non-binary, transgender. Um, we had a transgender gendered bus driver um, who was, you know, in the... Who, Everybody loved her. She was in the paper, which she sadly she passed on a couple of years ago, but you know, used to see her every day. And she was just there living her life, being a human being. And of course, you know, we, we've got, um, and even in our, in our, in, in politics, you know, there are people who are transgendered who, who, you know, are out serving the public. And we recently, we recently lost quite a famous, um, trans politician who, who really broke some boundaries. So, um, and, and, and I think a lot of this has to play, and I don't, I, I'm, not an, I'm not an expert, so I don't want to go too far down this road, but in context to um, Pacifica Maori culture, um, so um, in a broader sense, Polynesian culture and, and, and different views of gender there. I, I would assume play some yeah. sort of role. Um, I've had other friends who are from here mention that, so I'm going to go with that for now. <laughs> um, but uh, I think yeah. that probably is a that it makes sense probably to at that point steer us toward the question of Christianity, right? Because so <laughs> much of our of our ideology around yeah. gender identity in general, you know, um, yeah. even there's so many things, paradigms that come from Christianity that are considered the, the right normal way to be the things that have been codified into our society and essentially exclude so many, um, so many human beings and so many beautiful forms that we all come in. Right. So, yes. um, can you can you help me understand a little bit more since I don't have the pleasure of knowing you already about your your history with with Christianity? Um, I don't I don't want to I don't want to go down I, again I, I don't want to like tell my parents' story because that's not. Uh, but I just want to say that uh, so they they became my mom became a Christian I think around 1975 something around there. My dad was. Uh, roughly, I want to say 1977, 78, some, somewhere in there. Um, so they were kind of, I guess, involved in sort of the Jesus people movement, which, you know, you can wiki that um, public. <laughs> it's going way back. Um, and um, so I remember as a small child, there's kind of a shift in the household when my dad became a Christian. And we were, we were, in church all the time and and specifically in kindergarten i remember the pressure of like every friday every friday uh pressure to accept jesus as my lord and personal savior have you done it yet have you done it yet <laughs> and i i i see so many kids in a lot of videos on youtube or whatever and they go well I, I i've been a christian since i was five and i'm 15 now so i know what it's about of you know da, da, da. i'm like oh sweetheart i know <laughs> i know what you're going through because i've been there too um and 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 i don't look at them with pity i, I it grieves me uh so uh, i i think for myself that was sort of the beginning of of a continuous sort of pressure cooker that I was in for the next, I guess till I was about 
Well, definitely. So I was 18 and I, and I left the house the first time. <laughs> but but I, I really, by the time I was 17, I totally checked out. I was, I was going through the motions. I was just going there. But it, in the intro of that, I would say the theme was trauma. <laughs> a continuous trauma. And I only know that now looking yeah. back. Um, and uh, I'm still transitioning into psychology. Uh, so I've got a master's I need to finish. But um, so I think the more I took that journey and the more um, I delved into myself with therapy, um, the more I could look back and see what exactly happened to me during those years. Because um, I didn't fully understand it. I just knew I was really, really angry. You know, very angry. Um, yeah. And I didn't quite know why. Uh, you can say, oh, well, you were repressed. You know, I didn't get to listen to the music I wanted to listen to. And, you know, I was forced to go to church and all these things. But it was more than that. It was the fact that, you know, the people realizing that the people in power um, were feeding me as a small child a steady diet of uh, bigotry, misogyny, um, hate. And, um, and, just, and just the overarching sort of self-righteous concept that we are Christians and we're better than everyone else. We're better than the people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not true. <laughs> we're, we all yeah. have, you know, there's we all have value. There's a certain requirement. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain requirement of certainty mm-hmm. that, is re- that is embedded into uh, the fundamentalist Christian faith, right? That there, mm. that there is no room for doubt or questioning or exploration, which I think is one of the, the most fascinating aspects of relationship yes. with the divine is this, this opportunity that we have to explore and to learn more, right? And, um, but there's this certainty that, so, you, so to your point, you have to be, you have to align with this bigotry and hatred and misogyny and legalism and all of these things. And then you have to also be really, really certain about it all. <laughs> yeah. And if it's not working no out, questions. that's your fault. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's your fault if it's not working out yes. for you. Because yes. your faith isn't strong enough. Right. Correct. Correct. Wow. I'm taking I'm just taking a breath right now because <laughs> I I feel like there's uh um I don't even think that that this is fully measurable in terms of enculturation and politicization and colonization. I mean, it's all of those things. And it's almost... Capitalism. You know, it is capitalism. Yeah. Whiteness. Whiteness, too. Whiteness. Yeah. So in a way, it's inescapable. But we have to escape. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, we do. Um, and it, it was, I know that, I know, but I, I felt like there was a point in my childhood where I kind of broke. I'm dyslexic amongst uh, uh, also a few other learning disabilities. And so it's quite common uh, in dyslexics that uh, we'll have an early sort of onset of um, depression as a child. And this gets wor- this really comes on, especially when you hit puberty. And 
So for me, what happened was that came on in, in a rush. I was, I didn't know what I was experiencing, what I was going through uh, at all. Um, and at certain points I was, uh, I even felt suicidal. I wanted, I just wanted to die. And the, the only thing anyone ever did was pray for me. And I'm sorry, that's not enough, especially with a child. That's not enough. And I can, <clears throat> I understand there's levels of ignorance at the time, you know, um, and, and what we know now and what people may know now about certain things like dyslexia is, is, is different to, you know, 40 years ago. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I accept that, but I mean, even the school I was put in was not equipped to handle children with learning disabilities at all. Um, nobody was trained there. It's to my knowledge, I could be wrong, but nobody in my, to my knowledge was trained. So because of that, my dis, so my dyslexia was something that I was punished for again and again and again and again. I spent hours and hours in detention because I couldn't write. Uh, I just, I just couldn't write correctly. So, and, and that's, again, that's one of, that's, that's one of my learning disabilities. <laughs> so there was nothing I could have ever done about it, but just persistently being, okay, being so, punished. Okay. So yeah. Mac. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, we were on different sides of the same experience, different parts mm. of the same experience. And, uh, you know, I, in a I've had to recover in a different way from that experience. Mm. But I'm wondering, if at all, how you remember my presence as part of the, I don't know, the cabal, the um, <laughs> part of the, you know, faculty or... Um, looking back, I just, I think, like as a kid, you knocked my socks off with music. Like you opened a door and I remember you teaching us in choir and, um, and, and, and when we were in your choir class, everybody was just doing it. Everybody's just singing, you know? And I remember, I remember those moments not feeling so awkward and, you know, and you'd feel the spirit come in, you know? And, and it was like this safe place that I got uh, this moment of sort of uh, relief. Um, I, I think also as a PE teacher, um, you kind of had this balance of being fun, but then at the same time, you know, keep, keeping us in line. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I, yeah, my, uh, wow. but I think, I think my sort of key moment was when you read uh, the, I have a dream speech in, in chapel. And I felt, I can't put it fully into words other than to say it was the first time I had heard the whole speech. Um, and then secondly, now I'd, I'd almost call it as it was almost felt subversive, but in the best way possible, I felt like I was getting, I was, you were opening a door and I was getting a peek through there and I was understanding something that I wasn't like, I didn't totally get it yet, but I, I have skin in that game, you know? And, and, so it, I think it was, you know, it was an early kind of, uh, to use Christian terminologies, like sort of um, seed planting, you know, in the best way possible. But 
I think it started to get me to question. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I, you know, until you mentioned those things, I come, I completely forgot <laughs> choir. I forgot PE. I mean, <laughs> I don't remember reading that speech. Um, well, at least now until you mentioned it, you know, here it is almost four decades after the fact. And I, those are not the things I remember. I do remember that I had an uphill climb because I thought the experience, the whole experience could be transformed in some way, but I, I didn't feel like I had the influence or the power or the knowledge to do that. So I don't remember those things or didn't remember those things until you brought them up, which is kind of ironic that those are the things you remember. <laughs> and I just remember, you know, the teaching part. <laughs> What's interesting, I think about that, and one of the things that I think is so important to, to remember and, and is being demonstrated so beautifully here is that there is a real difference between positions of power and positions of influence. And you don't necessarily need to have a position of power to have immense influence, right? And, and to create a safe space for another human being, to be able to have the influence to create a safe space for another human being is, is um, that's actually deeply powerful because you created as as uh, as he said you've created this seed that was planted that paved the way for something very different and much more beautiful i think i wow. think we came across i think we came across was that you Dave, you saw things differently than 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 all the other uh teachers and, and everybody um and what I didn't fully realize at the time, it wasn't solely because you're an African-American man, um, which was definitely playing a role in that, but just you are another human being who brings a different a lens to the table. Um, so with the whole package, you know, I, I think, you know, I was, I feel, I feel blessed and lucky to have met you at that time in my life and to start to look at things different, you know, to have that, that seed of, wait, gotta just, you, you gotta just turn this a little, you gotta just look at this a little bit differently. And, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't get that again until I was 15. Uh, I had a, I had a history teacher, Central River High School. His name was Gordon Weber. He was the volleyball coach. And I don't remember how it happened, but he ended up teaching history that, that, uh, that semester. And, um, what was really amazing, unique about him was that, uh, well, there's lots, but he, but to me at the time, it was a mind blower. He was a Zen Buddhist and his wife was a Christian. And at 15, still going to church. Mm. Uh, and at this point, my, my world's being rocked. This is my first year being in a public school, um, which I had fought for for years and years and years. And then I finally got it. And I, I didn't realize it at the time because it just felt awkward. But I realized looking back, there was so many social skills that I'd never learned because <laughs> they don't offer those classes in fundamentals. <laughs> so, um, just how to interact with people, how, you know, all these things, because you're in this place of self, continuous self-righteousness. And then, and then you get into a biology class. What do I, you know, I just remember I, I left the biology class because <laughs> I, I couldn't, it's like, does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. Like this isn't yeah. working. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today. 
We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at God is not an asshole or text 805-703-8393 because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.